Okay, the, the name of this lecture is The Legacy of Sinai. Uh, I want to discuss the divinity of the Torah. I neglected to put my email address on the page, so I wrote it over there, I, if you can see it. If anybody has any questions or comments, they can send me an email. The uh, divinity of the Torah is one of the 13 principles of faith of the Rambam. The source, source that you have is from the Pirish Mishnayis of the Rambam, on Sanhedrin, where he enumerates the 13 principles of faith, the eighth principle, Torah is from heaven. We have to believe that the entire Torah that we have today is the same Torah that Moshe Rabbein received from HaKadosh Baruch Hu from Shemaim. I'm not going to read the entire section, but the question is, what's the basis of our faith that Torah is Mishamayim? To say that it's one of the principles without giving a reason why we should believe that is difficult. And I'll try to explain the paradox of why it might be difficult actually to find a source for that principle of faith. When we talk about the divinity of Torah, we're, we're referring to two perhaps opposite things. First of all, we're going back to historical Sinai. That's the point in which we witnessed Torah being given to Moshe Rabbeinu. So on the one hand, we're going back thousands of years to Sinai. And on the other hand, the fact that Torah is divine is also a reason that it's relevant today. It's a source of our guidance for us whenever we have difficult questions, whenever we have issues that bother us. Where do we turn? We turn to Hashem. Where do we find the answer? We find the answer in the Torah. Rav Salvechik in Family Redeemed, uh, it's not in front of you, uh, makes this point. What I want to achieve is an understanding on our part that the Bible is not just a book of the past. It is far more than that. It is the book of the present and future. In all times and all periods, in crisis as well as in success, man may find his problems, anxieties defined in the book of books. So when we have a difficulty, when we're looking for sources, we're looking for guidance, we turn to the Torah. The question is, where, where are we supposed to turn when the question of the divinity of Torah itself is the issue? Uh, the problem is, I mean, on the one hand, of course, yes, there's a mitzvah in the Torah that we should believe that Torah comes from Shemaim. The Pasuk in Dvarim, Perg Dalid, Pasuk Tes, you should be careful not to forget the things that you saw. You should never remove it from, from your, your awareness. You should pass this on to your children and your children's children. That day in which he stood in front of God at Sinai. So it's a mitzvah. The Ramban uh, in source source number two, is it? Yeah, the Ramban in source number two um, quotes this as being a mitzvah slota, say you're not allowed to forget. But obviously the question is, when we're talking about issues of faith, the problem that we have here is analogous to the problem of the fact that the Rambam says there's a mitzvah to believe in God in source, uh, source number three. It's one of the mitzvahs. The Rambam enumerates as a mitzvah to believe in God. And Rav Chastai Kreskis already pointed out in source number four that belief in God, that the mitzvah to believe in God presupposes that you accept God. So how can you believe in God? How can it be a mitzvah to believe in God? If you don't believe in God, how can there be a commandment that you trust? You have to, the, the, the mitzvah to believe in God presupposes that you've accepted God. And therefore, Kreskus claims that there can't be a mitzvah to believe in God. Our problem is analogous. You know, if, if we want to question the divinity of the Torah, the fact that there's a mitzvah in the Torah that we have to believe, or that it's one of the principles of faith, that can't be a source for us, because it already presupposes the fact that the Torah is divine. To put it another way, um, this issue of the divinity of the Torah is, is an issue which has been debated in the past, uh, and it's an issue which is also being debated currently. Uh, a few years ago, there was a rabbi, an Orthodox rabbi, who, who wrote 
a blog about his struggles with believing in Torah Misinai. Um, and I'm going to quote from his blog. I led a bifurcated intellectual life. I understood that both the religious and academic courses of study were meaningful and believed both in Torah Misinai, Torah Minashamayim, and academic Bible studies. To live with this tension, I followed a version of David Ben-Gurion philosophy. We must assist the British in the war as if there were no white paper, and we must resist the white paper as if there were no war. In other words, I kept my academics academic and my halacha halachic. This is still my philosophy in essence, but over the past few years I have given serious thoughts as to whether I can make the two sides meet at any point, or at least put them in serious conversation. Okay, I'm not going to discuss the direction that he took, but it does point out the difficulty that we have. With on the one hand, we very, very much identify with scientific study, academic study. We would be very, very happy to find historical and archaeological sources for Torah at Sinai. On the other hand, our, our belief in Torah is something which is very, very basic to us. And sometimes in order to believe and accept that, we have to maybe ignore what they're saying in the universities. So the question is, how do we deal with that tension, especially when at first glance it would appear that Torah is one place that we can't turn to, to appreciate the divinity of Torah itself, which presupposes you know, the, the, the question of Torah, Mishamayim. When we look at the Torah and we want to find out what, you know, the Torah actually deals with this issue. There's a Pasuk in Shmos, Perakutes, Pasuk Tes. On the, on the pages they, they said, don't put on, your people should have come with the Tanakh, so don't put, don't put, uh, Psukim on the pages. In other words, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe, why, why is there going to be revelation at Sinai? What's the purpose? But for what? What is the purpose for revelation at Sinai? And the answer that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives is, in order that people should hear as I speak to you, and through that, the faith in you and the faith in the Torah will be forever. So in other words, the source you know, the, our source that we're looking for, the resource, is going to be the Sinai experience. And the question is, again, how does that help us nowadays? That will be the source forever. How does that help us now, the fact that there are unsubstantiated claims of the Sinai experience of the Torah? First, in order to deal with this issue, I want to focus on what exactly does it mean that the Sane experience helps us in terms of our faith? What aspect of Sinai are we dealing with? And in order to point this out, I want to discuss two separate, I would say, dialogues between HaKadosh Baruch and Moshe Rabbeinu that bracket Mamar HaSinai, that form the brackets around the Aserata, the Ebrot, the Ten Commandments. I'll begin with the end bracket. Immediately following the Aserta de Brot, there's a Pasuk that we find the, the Aserta de Brot appear twice, once in Shmos, in Pasha Yitro, and once in Dvarim, in Pasha Vetchanan. In Pasha Vetchanan, it appears also in a shorter version in, uh, in Yitro, but I want to quote from Vetchanan. Kravatau Shema, the people came to Moshe Rabbeinu and said, okay, we've had enough. Kravatau Shema, you go ahead and you receive the Torah. It says va'at in the in the feminine as opposed to the masculine. Va'at daber ilenu at daber vasinu. And you will tell us what God what God said. God heard what you said. I heard what the people said to you. What they said is wonderful. That this should be their mindset forever. 
and therefore it should be good for them and for their children forever and ever. So, HaKadosh Baruch Hu hears what the people say, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, this is wonderful. This fear of God should, that, that, that awareness of fear of God should, be, should last forever. Rashi, on this Pasuk, Va'at Tidabari Leinu, which is in the feminine, says as follows, this is in front of you, source number five, Va'at Tidabari Leinu, Hitashtem kochi kenekeva, you weaken me like, like a woman. I'm not going to get into that, okay? <laughs> Blame Rashi, not me. Shenitztaarti alechem, v'repitem et yadi, you made me weak, ki ra'iti she'enchem charedim l'tkarev elav me'ahava, I saw that you didn't have this love of God that you wanted to receive the Torah directly from Him. It made no difference to you whether you received Torah directly from God or whether you heard it indirectly from me. And therefore, I was very, very upset. So on the one hand, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Heitivu And on the other hand, Rashi says that Moshe Rabbeinu was upset. Okay, so this is Rashi. But it's not only Rashi. Where is Rashi getting this from? From Va'at as opposed to Va'ata? I think there's a Pasuk which really supports Rashi. Pasuk in Shmos, in Yisro, Perchav Pasuk Tazayin Yudzayin, Vayomru El Moshe, the people said to Moshe, Daberi Tanu Imanu Vinishma, Vayi Daberi Imanu Elokim Penamut, we want you to tell us the Torah, we don't want to hear it directly from God, Vayomru Moshe La'am, the people said, Moshe said to the people, Al Tirao, don't be worried, don't be afraid, don't be scared, so Moshe Rabbeinu's reaction to the request of the people is Al Tirau, and Akharish Baruch Hu's reaction is Heitivu Kalashadibeiru Umi Tein Vayal Vamzel Yirau Ti Kol Yamim. Akharish Baruch Hu says it's wonderful. They should, the fear of God should be in their hearts forever and ever. And Moshe Rabbeinu says Al Tirau, don't worry. So Akharish Baruch Hu says Heitivu Kalashadibeiru, the fear of God should be in their heart. This is wonderful. And Moshe Rabbeinu says Al Tirau, don't worry. Receive it yourself, according to Rashi. This tension between Moshe Rabbeinu and Akarish Baruch Hu, as I said, brackets Saser Sadibos also at the beginning. The Pesukim that lead up to Saser Sadibos are as follows. In Shmos and Perkutes, Pesukim Chafalif, and uh, going into Saser Sadibos, what happens immediately? Moshe Rabbeinu was at Har Sinai. HaKadosh Baruch says, Go and warn the people. They should be afraid, because if they go up to the mountain, they'll be destroyed. And even the Kohanim that, that, that enter a bit closer, they should be very, very careful. So God shouldn't God shouldn't uh, be poreis, shouldn't, uh, shouldn't attack them. Bad translation, I know, I can't think of the translation. Moshe Rabbeinu argues with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He says, the people can't go up. A few days earlier, you already, you already said that we have to separate the mountain. We already put a fence around the mountain. We already sanctified the mountain. Everybody knows that they can't go up. We've already discussed this. Vayomer elav Hashem lechreid, go down. Valita tava unimach, and you and Aaron will come closer. Vakonim vam al yer sulalot el Hashem pen yifrotzvam. Again, that term pen yifrotzvam. That Kadosh Baruch Hu shouldn't be parade, shouldn't, shouldn't attack them. Vayed Moshe la'am vayomer alehem. Moshe Rabbeinu died and told them, and told them. What did he tell them? He told them what Moshe Rabbeinu, what Kadosh Baruch Hu said, told them. Why, why, why is Moshe Rabbeinu arguing with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? I mean, and why, why does HaKadosh Baruch Hu insist that they warn the people? Why did this bother Moshe Rabbeinu? And why is this, so, this debate so important that it's put into the Torah? Immediately before Mamar Sinai, After Vayomer Aleim, it says, What immediately follows is Aserta Debrot. Aserta Debrot comes in the wake of this warning. So I think that there was a basic discrepancy 
between Moshe Rabbeinu and Kadosh Baruch Hu, what the purpose of Mamad Sinai was. The purpose of Mamad Sinai, according to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, again, recall, Moshe Rabbeinu was what's his defining characteristic according to the Torah, that he had more than anybody else on the face of the earth? Anav. He was humble. The humility of Moshe Rabbeinu, the context in which that's said, is when is when Moshe and Aaron, when Aaron and Miriam attack Moshe regarding the Isha Kushit. And they said, we're also Nevi'im. What's special about you? And Moshe Rabbeinu is a big enough because Moshe Rabbeinu said, there's nothing special about me. Everybody else can reach my level as well. There's nothing special about me. That's the anava, that's the humility of Moshe Rabbeinu. It's not what I would call religious humility. Avram Avinu says, Anochi afar ve'efer. I am nothing and therefore my request means nothing, but nevertheless I'll request. It's not, it's not hitpatlut towards God, which is religious humility. I mean, that he had as well. But when it talks about anav, Nikola Adam, is talking about personal humility regarding his fellow. He didn't think that he was better than anybody else. What happens when HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes to him uh, and says, you know, at the sne and says that he's chosen, what does he say? Why me? Why me? What's the story that immediately precedes Aaron and Miriam's attack on Moshe Rabbeinu? Eldadu Meidad prophesies in the Machane. Yoshua says, Adoni Moshe Chaim, stop them. And what does Moshe say? Right, which is the same that we had that the fear of God this should be the case that the entire people should prophesize there's no reason that it's limited to me that's the anava the humility of Moshe Rabbeinu Moshe Rabbeinu thought in his humility that the purpose of Mamar Harsinai is that the entire people should receive the Torah directly from God. That they should be able to understand and appreciate the entire Torah. Umi tein v'chol am Hashem inaviyim ki tein Hashem etuchal alayhem. Mamar Harsinai, this is wonderful. The entire people will receive the, the word of God directly. Not me, not me many, me piagvura. But the purpose of Mamar Harsinai according to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who perhaps was more realistic than Moshe Rabbeinu, and realized that Moshe Rabbeinu was unique. The purpose of Mamad Arsinai is not that the entire people should receive the Torah, but the entire people should experience the Torah. They should experience and they should witness God speaking directly to man. That's not something they heard through a third party, indirectly, that's something they experienced themselves. What was important was not the content of the Aserah Sadibros, that they should hear directly the content of the Aserah Sadibros. They should receive the Torah, but they should experience directly the Torah being given over to man, directly from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That was the point of Maman Harsinai. If we talk about... Appreciating the Torah, being able to absorb the Torah, would scaring the people immediately before Aser Sadibros be a good didactical tool to put the fear of God into them so that they shudder and fear and they're afraid? Would that be a good way of having them become and be able to absorb and understand the Torah? Probably not. Moshe Rabbeinu, who thought, who wanted, who hoped that Mamar Arsinai would be a way in which they received the Torah directly from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, thought that would be a bad educational tool. They already been warned. There's no reason to scare them immediately before the Sarah Sadebros. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, yes, that's what I want. And at the end of the Sarah Sadebros, when the people say, we're scared, please receive the Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu said, no, al tirau you can receive the Torah yourselves. And the Kaddish Baruch Hu said, that was the point. This fear of God, of being in that man, God experience, Halavai should remain with them forever. 
proof that the point of Mamar Sinai was not to receive the content of the Dibros, but to appreciate the experience of the Dibros, is the fact that Chazal say that the people really didn't understand the Dibros, at least not all ten. How many did they understand? Three? Two. This is the source you actually have. Uh, source number six, a Gemara in Makos. I'm sure you all know it. Darish Rabbi Simlai, Sheshmi Otu Shlosha, Se Mitzvot, Nemrulo, Le Moshe, right? Taryag Mitzvot, where does it come from? It comes from this memory in Makos. Shloshmiot, Vishishim, Vichamesh Lavim, Kiminyamota Chama, Matayma Bishmon El Essay, Kinegadev Rav Shaladam, Amrav Hamnuna, where does this come from? Mikra, Torah Tzivalan Moshe, Morsha Torah, Begematria, 611, Torah they got from Moshe, there were two that they received directly from Akadosh Baruch Hu. Two mitzvahs they received directly from Akadosh Baruch Hu, and the first two dibros are in second person, and the rest of the dibros are in third person, right? Uh, and therefore, they, the Chazal say, the first two dibros they understood, they received directly, and the rest of the dibros they received indirectly. Uh, there are Pesukim, and the Ezra says that all Aserza Dibros they received directly. And the Ramban, in order to explain the discrepancy between the Pesukim that Ibn Ezra quotes and the Pesukim, you know, the, 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 and what Chazal say in, and the second person and the third person in reference to God. So Ramban, in source number seven, says as follows. Well, I'll explain to you the, the, uh, the tradition of our, of our, of our rabbis. They heard all ten. It's not here? Yes, source number seven. Source number seven. It's, it's on my page. What? Okay, sorry. Okay, so then listen. I'll explain to you the tradition of our, of our rabbis. They heard everything. They heard everything. Like the Ibn Ezra mentions that, they heard everything. The first two commandments, that they understood. The same way that Moshe understood them. The rest of the Dibrot, the last eight, they couldn't understand. So the other eight, Moshe had to explain to them. The first two, they understood themselves. Now, if the point of a Seres HaDibrot is that the people should understand, they didn't. They heard, but they didn't understand. But I want to ask a different question. Why didn't they understand the first two, but they didn't understand the last eight? Are the first two easier to understand the last eight? Lo Tirzach, that's a really hard one, right? Right? Lo Tignov, you know, Okay, that's hard, right? My parents are here, I can't. Right? That's really hard. But, but I mean, Anoch Yashem Lo Kecha, existence of God, Lo Yalchalukim those are the first two. Those are the ones they understood. The difficult ones, they couldn't quite comprehend, like Lo Tirzach, Lo Tignov, Lo Af. Those were hard. They didn't, they didn't manage to get. Another question. Is it true that there are two mitzvahs in the first two? Take a look at the Sefer Achinuch. Do you have that? What? You don't have Sefer Achinuch either? Okay. <laughs> I have it. <laughs> Don't be jealous. Okay. The Sefer Achinuch, when he quotes the, the, how many mitzvahs you have in the first two commandments, the first mitzvah is the mitzvah of Emunah to believe in God. Okay, Kreska says you don't count that as a mitzvah. We'll put that on the side. Shalom amin elokut bilti Hashem. You can't believe in any other deity. Shalom aso pesel. You can't make an idol. Shalosh Tachavot Lavarazara. You can't bow down to, to a foreign deity. Shalosh Avod Lavarazara. You can't do foreign worship. 
In other words, the first two debrot contain many mitzvot, not only two. So if they understood the first two, they understood much more than two mitzvot. When you count, when you enumerate the mitzvot in Tayag, the first two debrot contain more than only two mitzvot. So the 611 and the 613 really wouldn't work out. So the truth is that I think what the Medrash is saying is that the people didn't understand anything. They didn't understand any of the Debrot. Not one, not two, not ten. They understood only two things. God exists and nothing else exists. They didn't understand any of the words. They were blinded by the light. According to the Rambam, they were really wanted at the level of Nebuah. There were only two things that they understood and understood absolutely in the, the experience of Muhammad HaSinai. That God exists and that there really is another, no, no other existence aside from God. That's Anochi Lo Yelecha. That was the experience of Sinai. The content, the words, it was a blur. They heard voices, they couldn't understand the words. The experience of Muhammad Sinai, that was what was critical. And that was the point according to Kaddish Baruch Hu. That religious experience, directly, of experiencing God, that was direct. There was no middleman over there. Anochi lo that they understood clearly even if they didn't hear a single word. Everything else was a blur. So if that's what's important about Mamad Sinai, what we take with us, if Mamad Sinai is supposed to be the, 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 the source of Gam Aminu Olam, it's not the content of what it says in the Debros, but it's that experience. It's that total, absolute experience of the nation at Sinai, directly experiencing God, the man-God experience of Sinai. There's a famous Kuzari that supports historical Sinai about what's called, known as the, the Kuzari principle. Good, okay. The Kuzari principle basically goes as follows. And the Kuzari is talking to, Rabbi Dalai is talking to Melech Kuzar. And he's trying to explain to him why belief in Torah Misinai is something which is very probable. And he says as follows, Manhig Moshe, the, the leader Moshe, Allah Shalom, Hamid HaMona Itzah Sinai wrote at Ha'or Shara'u to see the light that he himself saw. They were at Sinai and they saw that light. Ilu Hayu Yicholim and because of that experience, they were able to push aside all bad thoughts as if he's coming with a private claim of prophecy. They all saw that God speaks to him. It's Impossible, improbable. To invent that the that the, the there's this public tradition of uh, of a harsina that we all saw. Because how exactly do you, you invent such a tradition? You go to a people and say, you know what, your fathers all saw Mama Sinai a thousand years ago. You all forgot. Your fathers didn't tell you, but that's what that's what happened. How do you invent it? How do you invent such a tradition? And that's the argument of the Kuzari. That, that we're not talking about something that a private person claims. All other religions, they have prophets, and their prophecies are private, and they go ahead and they preach to other people who accept what they said or don't accept what they said. But Mamarai Sinai is a public event. How exactly do you invent a public event? How do you make that part of the, of the, of the, of the part, part of national memory in an artificial way. 
And therefore, the Kuzari claims that Mamanar Sinai, which is part of the national memory, must have happened. Mufsad Yigal uh, has a different twist on the same theme. Uh, in Sefer Amunot V'deot, he says, V'amru v'atem edai, I'll say, Baal we're running a little short of time. He says that he finds the man which came every day for 40 years <coughs> to, to the entire people, the tradition of the man is even a better proof. Because as you, you can fool some of the people all the time, all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. So the man that came every single day except for Shabbos for 40 years, you know, uh, that there should be mass hypnosis that they all think that they heard and there were probably microphones on the sides and who knows what they had. All right, that you could do. But man for 40 years, that's even more convincing. Uh, I think uh, Rabbi Levi points out Mamar Sinai as opposed to the man because it's a more dramatic event. Something which is less dramatic, you know, if maybe the tradition was, was lost. So, you know, it happened, but... But but it wasn't so critical. The man is not the most important thing that we think about when we talk about the what happened to Am Yisrael over the generations. But the dramatic event of Mamar Sinai that can't be invented. Well, Rabbi Sadiqon prefers something which is more constant and consistent, as opposed to the one-time event. But both basically are pointing out to the fact that it's very very improbable, if not impossible, to artificially invent or put something into the, 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 the national memory of the people. What I want to do is to show that the Rambam has a different approach, and uh, point out the difference between the Rambam's approach and the Kuzari's approach. Normally when discussing this issue, the Kuzari's approach is, is uh, what's usually noted and argued. You know, debates about this issue usually revolve around the Kuzari's principle for and against. But I think the Rambam's approach, uh, I want to talk about also where the Rambam got it from, is very, very critical. It's important to understand the difference between what the Rambam says and between what the Kuzari says. Moshe Rabbeinu, Lo he'eminu bo Yisrael It wasn't because of these grandiose miracles that Moshe Rabbeinu did. Even if it was to the entire nation. That's not convincing for Moshe Rabbeinu. If you believe because of miracles, yes, believe Odofi. There's always a possibility that maybe it was some kind of a trick. Remember the microphones? Shef shash yaseaot belat v'kishuf. It could be magic, it could be a trick. Elakol ha'otot sha'asam o'sheba midbar l'fiyatzorech asam. The miracles that Moshe Rabbeinu did was not in order to develop faith but was in order to solve certain problems that came up. It wasn't to bring proof to the, to the prophecy. The Mitzrim were chasing after them, so there was Kriyas Yamsuf. We needed food. So the man is not going to be a proof, and the Ram here is directly going against of Sadigon. And so too regarding all other miracles. What's the source of our faith in Torah, in Moshe? In the experience of Harsinai, because we ourselves experienced, we saw it with our eyes, we heard it with our ears. Ha'esh, ha'kolo, talapidim, v'huni gashel arfel, we saw the fire, we heard the, we heard the voices, we heard the, the noise, and we heard the kol medaber elav, the voice of God, speaking to him, to Moshe. V'anu shomim, and we heard, Moshe, Moshe, lechem olam kach v'kach, go tell them this and that. It's very interesting, he doesn't say what they told him. He does hear, he knows, they, didn't, they weren't able to receive Torah itself, if you recall. They didn't hear the words. But they heard God speaking to Moshe tell them. That God spoke to us directly. I'm going to stop here for a second. 
I'll pick up on the Ramam later. But what the Ramam is saying is that the reason that we believe in Torah, in Sinai, in God is not because of some logical argument, it's not Kuzari principle, but it's empirical. It's what we saw. It's what we heard. The Kuzari is talking to Melch Kuzar. And he's trying to give an argument to somebody who wasn't there at Har Sinai and to tell him why I argue that this is the proper faith and that Torah was given to the Jewish people. And it's an objective argument and he can weigh this argument as opposed to claims of other religions. And he's talking to somebody who wasn't there at Sinai. What happens to the Rambam's argument to somebody else? Believe because you saw, because you heard. It all melts. The argument of the Rambam is specific and addressed to the Jewish people. You saw, you heard, it's an empirical argument, you were there, you witnessed. So there are two different audiences. I don't know if Rabbi Yudel Halevi would argue on the Rambam. When you're speaking to other people, you have to have objective, logical arguments. But the Rambam says, I'm not talking to anybody else. I'm talking to you. And the reason that you believe is because you saw, you heard, your eyes, your ears. Where does the Rambam get this from? The Rambam gets this from, first of all, from the Torah. He gets this from Moshe Rabbeinu. Because when Moshe Rabbeinu was starting Pashas Dvarim, Moshe Rabbeinu, at the beginning of Pashas Devarim, is about to die. And he's speaking to the people that were going to Israel without him. And he has to strengthen them and strengthen that generation and instill faith within them. And what does he tell them? And one of the motifs of, of Moshe Rabbeinu in Sefer Devarim is Einenu Ra'u V'lo'acher is the fact that your eyes have seen. The term Eneichem HaRo'ot, Eneinu, is something which appears over and over again in Devarim. It appears once in the rest of the Torah by Yosef when he reveals himself to his brothers. Eneichem HaRo'ot is repeated over and over again in Sefer Devarim. I'll just quote a few psukim quickly. Don't be afraid. It's in this week's parasha, Dvarim Aleph. Don't be afraid of the other nations when you go into Israel. Don't be afraid of those nations in Canaan. God who walks in front of you, He will fight for you. He will do battle for you. Like you yourself saw in Mitzrayim. Where it says, Hashem Yilachem Lachem, the exact same term, Vatem Tacharishun. In Perak Dalid, Parshat Vetchanan, Enechem Horaot et Hashem Asa Hashem Beval Paor, you saw, you witnessed what God did to the people that sinned at Baal Paor. Later on in that same Pasuk, in that same Perak, Perak Dalid, Pasuk Lamad Dalid, O Hanisal Kim Lavola Kachad Goy Mikerav Goy, has any other nation had this happen where, where, where God took an entire people and, and, and freed them? from the bondage of another people, like it, like it was done to, with, with, with miracles, like God did in Mitzrayim to you, in front of you, to your eyes. And to show how important this is in Sefer Dvarim, how does Sefer Dvarim end? How does Sefer Dvarim end? When it talks about Moshe Rabbeinu after his death and why we believe in Moshe and the greatness of Moshe, it says, the Chol Ha'otot 
the Pharaoh, all the great miracles that Moshe Rabbeinu did in Egypt to Paro, to his servants, to his land, the, the strong, great arm, that's how the Torah ends, So, Eneichem Hara'ot is a theme. Why is this a good argument for Moshe, but not a good argument for the Rambam? Moshe Rabbeinu, when he wants to explain to the people why they should believe in Sinai, so he says, Raki Shamalacha, Perigdal, Pasak Tesyud, Raki Shamalacha, Ushmar Nafshechama, oh, this is the Pasak that the Ramban quotes as the source for the Lotus Seder. You're not allowed to forget Sinai. Raki Shamalacha, Ushmar Nafshechama, oh, Pentishkach et Hadvarim Asherau e Necha. Don't forget the things that you yourself saw. Upen Yasumil Vavcha, don't remove it from your heart. Call Yemechayecha, the entire, all the days of your life. Yom Asher Amarita, the Hashem Lokecha Bechorev, the day that God revealed Himself to you at Sinai. Why is this a good argument for Moshe Rabbeinu and a bad argument for the Rambam? Who's Moshe Rabbeinu talking to and who's the Rambam talking to? The Rambam is in what century? When he tells the people, he writes in the Sefer Yara Chazaka, Einechem Rov Lo Acher, as Nechem Shom Lo Zar. What do the people say? We didn't see a thing. Moshe Ben is talking to people that witnessed it. So the question is, what is the Rambam doing? How could the Rambam use the argument of Moshe Rabbeinu, of Sefer Dvarim, that spoken to that generation, that witnessed all those events, and then say, this is our source for Amuna in the 12th century. It's a problem. Okay, I'm going to quote, I think the most extensive or comprehensive source of this idea of Einechem Haro'ot is Perakir Aleph. Anybody that has a Tanakh, I would open. Perakir Aleph, Pasuk Bet, Toltet. Perakir Aleph, 11th Perak, Dvarim. Dvarim. V'yidatim hayom, you should know today, ki lo et b'neichem, I'm not talking to your children, asher lo yadu, v'asher lo ra'u, that did not, do not know and did not see. I'm not talking to them. They don't know. I'm not talking to people that didn't see. To all the people that didn't see, ototav, masav, They didn't see all the miracles. They didn't see what I did to Mitzrayim. They didn't see Kriyas Yamsuf. They didn't see what I did to Datan Aviram, Ashes Pastat Pia Vetvaim, it swallowed them, their houses, everything they have. Ki Einechem Haro'ot. You saw this all. You saw it. Et Kol Maaseh Hashem Agadol Asherasa. You saw this. Ushmatem Et Kol Mitzvah Shanochi Mitzavcha Yom, and therefore you should you should hear to all the mitzvot that I'm that I'm commanding you today. In order that you should inherit the land, So I'm not talking to your children, they didn't see, I'm talking to you, you saw. So how could the Rambam, in the 12th century, bring the argument of Enechem Hora'ot? Isn't this, Benechem Asher Lo Asher Lo Yadu, the children who didn't see, who don't know, The answer, I think, is based on, first of all, an approach to Sefer Dvarim in general, approach to Torah in general. 
Moshe Rabbeinu, if one of the themes of Sefer Dvarim is Enechem Ara'ot, another word that appears more in Sefer Dvarim than in any other Sefer, I think, uh, in all the other four Sefarim, is the word Lema'an. Lema'an is the reason I'm telling you this. This is the purpose. Moshe Rabbeinu is giving arguments and he's saying, this is the reason I'm telling you these things, Lema'an. And Lema'an appears over and over and over again in Sefer Dvarim, usually within two contexts. There are two different purposes of Moshe Rabbeinu's speech. One purpose, I'm going to go again to what I read at the end of Perikir Aleph. Leman techesku uvatim virashtem in order that you should go, you should have strength, and you should, and you should inherit the land. Who's going to inherit the land? Which generation? The generation he's speaking to. And then he says, Uleman tarichu yamim aladamash nishbashal lovtechem latetlem uzaram eretzavat chalavudvash. In order that you should remain for years and years, you and your children, on the land. That's the other leman. If you take a look, we're not going to waste spend time on it now. Just do a search for Lama'an and Sefer Devarim. You'll see these two different things. Moshe Rabbeinu has an initial issue. The generation, this generation, should go over the Yardane, the Jordan River, without him, under the leadership of Yoshua, and conquer the land. That's the first Lama'an, to strengthen this generation, and then to strengthen future generations. So in this parak where he says, not your children, you, you saw this. I'm telling you all this, Lama'an, you should conquer the land and you should stay there for year, year after year after year. The problem is this argument is a time bomb. It's going to explode the next generation. Moshe Rabbeinu has admitted that it's not going to work. So how could he plant this time bomb, this argument of a Nechem Haro'ot, which you're not going to be able to transfer to the next generation. And then he says, I'm telling you this, Lema'an, that you should conquer the land, and Lema'an, that you should remain there for year after year and year, you, your children, your children's children. And I think this is really a, uh, a challenge to maybe rethink what Moshe Rabbeinu is doing. And uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, in Sefer Dvarim, it's a very, it's very profound. It's not to be taken at a superficial level. Many people note inconsistencies between Moshe Rabbeinu says and the original account in the Torah. And my approach is that the inconsistencies are deliberate. It's not that Moshe Rabbeinu was senile at the end. Chas Shalom is not that there are different documents. But he's retelling the story in a different way in order that you should focus on certain aspects of the story that might not be able to be picked up in the way that it was originally told. And he's forcing the people, and he's challenging them to think and to work and to understand what the real messages are. If Moshe Rabbeinu is planting a time bomb, then we have to think what exactly is his solution. How did he diffuse it? What did Moshe Rabbeinu want us to do? How did he want us to diffuse it? And I'm going to go back to the original Pasuk, which is the Pasuk that says, remember Har Sinai. Don't forget Har Sinai. This is what you saw. Pasuk Perikdalet, Tesyud, Raki Shama Lacha, Ushmar Nafshecha Ma'od, Pentishkachet Hadvarim Ashura Ueinecha. Don't forget the things that you saw. From your heart, all the days of your life, and you should pass this on to your children and your children's children. This is a living tradition that you have to pass on to your children and to your children's children. The legacy of Sinai. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying. The things that Sherau Enecha pass on to your children. Let me ask you another question. The things that Moshe Rabbeinu said that this generation saw, did they see? How many of them saw what happened in Mitzrayim? Most of them had died. The things that you saw in Mitzrayim, Kriyas Yamsuf, Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim, you saw. 
They saw. Some did and some didn't. Some were born afterwards. Some were born afterwards. Most were born afterwards. And the women lived. The women. And some of the women died too. And some women were born later. Right. Right. But the children carried on the tradition. He told the entire nation, Ashara Uenecha. He's not speaking to them as individuals. He's speaking to them as a community. As a community, we saw. And I think every single person who had parents, mothers, fathers, who had parents, who experienced Mavar HaSinai, identified when, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, when Moshe Rabbeinu said, Asher of course. Okay, I didn't see it, my father saw it. So that makes it any less real? It's what we grew up with. Of course it's part of the, uh, of, of our natural, uh, of our national memory, of our, of our, of our collective memory. It's what we are, it's who we are, that's how we grew up. Every single child that was born in the Midbar, right. Yitzhak Sassan was real for them. They grew up with those stories. They had to be there and see it to make it real. Harsina was real for them. Whether they were born then or they weren't born then. So when, when Moshe Rabbeinu says, Raki Shamalacha Ushmana Shachama or Pentashkachet had very much Sharawai Necha, Vahodatam of Anachal of Nevanecha. Pass this on to your children, children's children. The legacy of Sinai. The experience of Sinai. Not the words, not the content. The experience of Sinai. The man-God experience. What you saw. Pass that on. Let's return to the Rambam. I'm going to start from the beginning. We'll read through it. I'm not going to translate everything again. Moshe Rabbeinu lo heminu bo Yisrael b'pnei ha'otot sha'asa sha'amamin al-pi ha'otot yesh b'li b'odofi Somebody who believes because of miracles, there's always some corner of doubt in his mind. A trick, magic. The otot that Moshe did was not to instill belief in the people, not to convince people, but rather the reason that Moshe Rabbeinu did that was because it was needed at the time. What was the basis of the belief? fourth line. Our eyes saw, nobody else's. Our ears heard, no one else's. Ha'esh, ha'kolot, ha'lapidim. Vuhuni Gash El Harafel, he goes into the fog, into the cloud. God spoke to you, Panim Panim. It says, He spoke to you, Panim Panim. The same exact relationship in terms of the experience. I stopped before I got to this line. Lo etavotenu karata Hashem etabitazot. And the Rambam leaves out the rest of the Pasuk. He's really very clever. Ki itanu anachnu eile pohayom kulanu chayim. This bris, this covenant, wasn't to our fathers. Who are their fathers? Who's Moshe Rabbeinu speaking to? The second generation. Our fathers that died, it wasn't with them, it was with us. Now, this Pasuk, that the Rambam is referring to is in Perakei Pasuk Beis, Pasuk Dal. I'm going to read the Pasuk to you and let's see if somebody picks up what, what, what's strange. Hashem lokenu karat imanu b'chorev God forged a covenant with us in Sinai. Lo etavotenu karat Hashem etabitazot God did not forge this covenant with us. Ki itanu anachnu but with us today, who are all here alive. God spoke to us directly. What's strange? No. 
No. Wrong. The Rabbim shifted the order. He changed the order. First it says, Lo... The passage and then it says panim panim The order is the opposite. What did the Ramam do? The Ramam turned around the order. First he quoted the pasuk of panim panim to say It was us panim panim, and then he says the first half of the pasuk and he kind of leaves out the end. The Rambam is hinting to his solution. He's not saying it explicitly. It's implicit in the Torah, but it's not explicit what Moshe Amen was doing. It's the, it's the tricky point of the argument, and he's hinting to it. And he's saying, work on it. And his solution is as follows. Panim, panim, Hashem. The second stage is, that generation saw it directly. The second stage is, that was not a covenant that was forged with those individuals was a covenant that was forged to the community. And the community spans generations. And therefore the covenant was forged with us. And therefore I didn't see Mamar Sinai, but we did. Who are the we? The we is Am Yisrael. And we receive that as part of the collective memory that we received from our parents. And therefore, Vodatim Levanecha Levanecha, passing on the legacy of Sinai from father to son to throughout the generations, what we do on Lel HaSeder is to pass on the tradition of Yitzhak and Sinai from father to son through generations. We, we, we experience it, we, we play it out. So it should be a, a living experience to our children to link on with our tradition of what we are and, and who we are. And therefore the Ramam's argument in the 12th century and the Ramam's argument to us as well and Moshe Rabbeinu's argument to us is believe in Sinai because Eineichem ra'u v'lo'acher Eineinu ha'ra'ot Not me as an individual but we as a, as a community, as a people. That's what's been tra- transferred from generation to gener- generation from father to son. That's, that, that, that informs who we are, what we are. It defines us in terms of our basic identity. And that's part of the collective memory and part of our experience. And that's, according to the Rambam, why we believe now. Because that's who we are, that's what we saw. It's an empirical argument on the collective level. In order to, to maybe bring this home a little bit in a way that we can identify with this more. Okay? There are... I want to talk about something which is also part of the collective memory. Um, there are... Amisol survived the Holocaust. The Shoah. There, there are many people that deny the Holocaust. The extent of the Holocaust... The, they deny the Holocaust. A lot of Holocaust deniers. Does anybody in this room believe any of their arguments? Has anybody listened to any of their arguments to see if they believe in them or not? It doesn't even bother us. Because we know that it's wrong. We know that it's wrong because it's part of our identity of who we are and what we are. You know, the only reason I would look at their arguments is to debate with them and show them that, show that they're wrong. But it's not that I'm troubled by the arguments, I'm looking for solutions. Because it's part of who we are, it's, it's what we grew up with, it's part of our identity. It's part of the DNA of the Jewish people. We're Holocaust survivors. And therefore, if somebody comes and denies the Holocaust, it's totally ridiculous, it's absurd. It doesn't even trouble us. You know, if somebody in the academy would go ahead and claim that Sinai didn't happen, would that bother me? if that's what I am and who I am, it's only a question of how many years. But in terms of essence, it's the exact same point. I want to read the rest of the Rambam now. Uminayin, Shemam, and Asinai, it's around the middle. 
Levado How do I know that that is the point which is the foundation of our faith in Torah and in Moshe? The passage I quoted before, that the reason that we believe is Sinai, the Sinai experience, is what creates we should believe in Moshe Rabbeinu and his Torah forever and ever. The miracles, they weren't so convincing. Somebody else does other miracles, then you have to know whose card trick is better. It doesn't work. Many people claimed over the, over the course of history to do miracles. If there's any prophet that will get up, if any other Navi goes ahead and tries to argue, contradict, change the prophecy of Moshe, we won't listen to him. We would know clearly that it was some kind of a trick. It wasn't because of a miracle that will weigh whether this trick was better than that trick. We saw it ourselves. We heard it ourselves. Just like Moshe heard. And the Ram here brings in a parable. Somebody saw something. He witnessed an event. Two Adam come and say something else happened. The court might accept the two Adam and not me. But I know that they're lying or mistaken. Shnei Adim, they come and give witness contrary to what I saw. Shenu Shomelem, I know they're lying. I know that they're false witnesses. It's a trick. A trick is a good trick. But what you yourself experienced, what you saw, tricks should not have any impact. That's what, that's what the Ram is saying. And that's the example. And therefore, when we talk about Sinai, that we, we all received from our parents. And our parents, as far as we go back, that's a living tradition. And what we carry on with us is the experience of Sinai, and that's what we pass on to future generations. And that's what makes it real. It defines who we are, what we are. It's our DNA. And therefore, when you have some academic argument for or against, believe me, it doesn't really bother me. Aside from the fact that the arguments are not that convincing, and it's based on, you know, the axiomatic given that God doesn't speak to people. That's what all. That's where, where the academy starts. It's a, it's a basic axiom, and the axiom that we begin with is one of Sinai. The Ram here is obviously referring also to to Christianity, to Islam when he's talking about other prophets that come to contradict. And the reason that we don't believe in prophets that contradict the Torah is because of Heitivu Kol Shadibeiru, because of the Sinai experience, and Heitivu Kol Shadibeiru, Psukim in Dvarim, Perk Yudches, Navi mikebecham e'achecha kamoni yakim lecha Hashem lokecha, I will appoint other prophets, a love tishmu'un, you should listen to them, all that you asked for on the Yom HaKahal. Yom HaKahal is the day of the community. The whole point of Har Sinai was it was in the entire community experienced Sinai. So you didn't, Lo Osif, you didn't want to hear the Torah. And I said, And therefore Moshe will give the rest of the Torah and other prophets will tell you other things to do. But therefore, if they come and contradict the Torah, you won't listen to them. It's all based on a Tivu called Shadibeu on the Sinai experience. In conclusion, you know, in years of Chinuch, I've had many Talmudim that have been troubled by this issue, that have been bothered by why should we believe today 
What what kind of indications do we have? How do I know that? Questions about God's existence. How do I know the Torah is true? Why is our religion better than other religions? Am I Jewish only because of an accident of birth? If I would be born to some someplace else, I wouldn't be Jewish. Should my faith be based on an accident of birth? Does that make any sense? And many people are troubled by these issues. I was troubled by these issues. And there are a number of different solutions that one can can raise. Uh, in the light of, of, of the remarks and Rambam's position, which is what I tried to show, I think the Rambam is getting it from the Torah. As I started this year and said, the Torah really can't solve the problem of the divinity of the Torah itself, because that presupposes. But what the solution is Sinai, which is passed on from generation to generation, which the Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu himself, points out to. So the Torah is speaking to our generation. And people that nowadays have trouble with this issue, the solution is found in the Torah itself. And that's connected to my opening remarks, that the divinity of the Torah, on the one hand, brings us back to Sinai, where it's all rooted, but also brings the Torah and makes it relevant today in terms of being a solution and a resource and a guide for things that bother me now, in our generation. And what we see from the remarks that I made, now, if somebody would say it's an accident of birth, why should I believe? That would be analogous to somebody saying, why should I believe in the Holocaust? Isn't that just an accident of birth? Had I been born to a parents of Holocaust deniers, I wouldn't believe in the Holocaust. That's true. Does that make it right? It's analogous to somebody saying, well, if I didn't witness something, I wouldn't know that it happened. But you witnessed it. Or we witnessed it. So is that a reason to reject it? Had I not witnessed it, I wouldn't have known? When you talk about the empirical argument, the question of accident of birth falls apart. And in conclusion, the tradition that we have, the legacy that we receive from Sinai, is a treasure. The fact that we were born to the Jewish people, for whatever reason, were zochet to receive Torah at Sinai, Directly from Akadosh Baruch Hu. That's a treasure that we have. It's not an accident of birth. It's something that we have to treasure. That's something that we ha- that we received, and something that we have to pass on as a live tradition to our children and to our children's children.